foremost to the promotional products industry. Today, we're doing a special live stream for our Promo for the Planet initiative on balancing the triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit. I'm Teresa Hegel, Executive Editor of Digital Content at ASI, and today I'm joined by Kathy Cheng, Founder and President of Redwood Classics Apparel. Among her many achievements, Cheng is a member of ASI's 2021 Power 50 list, the 2016 Counselor Supplier Woman of Distinction, and she's been named to Inc. Magazine's 100 Female Founders list. She's on the board of directors for the Canadian Aboriginal and Minority Supplier Council, and you know so much more than that. But we don't we don't have all day to you know say everything everything you do and have done. So we stop there. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Kathy. Oh my gosh, Teresha. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. And don't believe anything that she just shared. It's just, I we're very, very fortunate. Um, before I begin, or we begin, may I, may we do a land acknowledgement? Absolutely. Fantastic. So um, I'd like to acknowledge the land I am standing on today is the traditional territory of many nations, including Mississaugas of the Credit, Anishawape, the Chippewa, uh, Chippewa the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many uh, diverse First Nations, Inuits, um, Métis peoples. I also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 signed by the Mississaugas of the Credit and the Williams Treaties signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. Thank you. Thanks so much for doing that. I appreciate it. Um, so before we get started, I do want to let everyone know that we will be taking any kind of comments, questions, stories, things you want to share, share in the chat, and we will be happy to address them you know, as we go through this um, you know, presentation. But um, I guess we can just get started. Um, first of all, like what, what is the triple bottom line? Uh, you know, what does it mean to focus on people, planet, and profit rather than just the traditional profit? Well, let's first and foremost, I think let's define uh, a widely used definition of what sustainability is. And sustainability is actually meeting the needs of the present without jeopardizing and compromising the ability to, you know, meet the needs of future generations. So that's why you have the people, the planet and, and the profit. And I would say a sustainable business model, in my humble opinion, is when you do focus on people, planet, and profit, um, otherwise known, as we've said now, the triple bottom line. And when we address people, it's the social aspect of your business, whereas when we are addressing planet, it addresses the environmental concern of your business. And with profit, it really is the financial implications of a business, right? So that's why we call it a triple bottom line. And essentially, it's a three-part framework, um, really focusing on these, you know, the three uh, silos or the three aspects of social, environmental, and financial. Um, in my humble opinion, I believe it's a three-legged stool and it's like a business. Your business is like your personal, right? It's a three-legged stool and we're, you know, looking and we're constantly evolving and we're, we're creatures. A business is a creature and our business needs to evolve to support the internal and the external stakeholders of our business. So is it, are all three, I mean, you mentioned it being a stool, all three then kind of have to be balanced and even. Yeah, it's it's constantly a balance. And you know what, maybe if I could start off by just sharing that, in my humble opinion, I don't believe sustainability is a goal. It's a 
journey. It's a journey that we are on because if you recall, I go back to what a sustainability, like a sustainable business model is, how are we trying to slow down the destruction? How are we ensuring that there's longevity? Let it be in our business, let it be in our industry, let it be in ourselves, right? That's the balance that we're always juggling with. And so again, I think it's a journey versus it's a goal. It's not like we are, and, and when I say the journey, I sincerely mean, Unless I am not in my business, unless we don't live, we don't breathe, the truth is our, what we're all trying to do is slow down destruction. You know, how are we trying to socially minimize impacts? Um, so, for example, on the people aspect, you know, the word diversity has become very popular. We talk about DNI quite a bit, and that's where we're focusing on your internal stakeholders as well as your external stakeholders. You know, I, I, I you had sorry, Teresa, did you, you were like, for example, if I was to, you know, use my business as an example, mm. people, planet and profit, you know, for us, when we focus on people, the aspect of our people is that um, as a factory and, you know, I'm an immigrant myself, uh, many of our makers are of Asian descent and are immigrants themselves as well. But we believe that we've created more jobs and by sharing the importance of our family textile legacy, we've created a platform for marginalized communities members to have their voice heard. You know, if anybody follows us um, on our social media platforms every Friday, we've done this campaign for a number of years now. We do people, planet and profit focusing on the people. Um, we do a hashtag factory Friday. So we're showing things that has happened. We have visitors. We've like, you know, we showcase our makers and that's because of the people aspect and those are internal and external stakeholders because we'll even, you know, feature visitors. So when we have, um, you know, for example, we we did a fire drill or we had, um, you know, someone that was uh, maintaining our sprinklers come by. So we'll showcase them because they're one of our external stakeholders as well, keeping us safe. Yeah. Uh, if you have visitors coming in, even end user corporates that come in along with our distributor partners to showcase, you know, we're actually people that are making these products. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah um, the point that it's, you know, I think what you're doing, it's, it's also like marketing your business. So it's, you know, it is a positive thing for you too to be yeah. showcasing these things. It's not just, I think sometimes when people think of like, you know, building sustainability it's almost like a painful thing. Like, oh, this is only going to be bad for us. But that's not that's not the case. No, and that's definitely not the case. And, you know, going back to this balancing act of people, planet and profit, the other part of it is as a, you know, with a focus on diversity in our people, we're also looking at um, the way that we operate ourselves. So we are minority owned certified. We are women owned certified. And we actually have our third women, uh, our third certification, which is under We Connect International. And that is a global women owned certified um, certification that actually services and is recognized in 52 global countries. So from a distributor standpoint, and this is the business, right? I, I do believe supplier diversity is also a strategy, just like environmental concerns could be a strategy and your hiring is a strategy, right? From the diversity standpoint or supplier diversity, um, by being uh, women-owned certified under We Connect International, we are now able to also better service our distributor tier one partners, perhaps that have target spends that they need to fulfill um, on a global level. 
So it's not necessarily just, you know, on a local, but we can also really be uh, thinking globally as well. Yeah. So when um, did, oh, I was just going to interrupt you. Sorry. No, but, no, no. Uh, <laughs> when did you first hear like this, the whole, the idea of, of the, the triple bottom line? Like, I know that's something that's kind of been like this, you know, it's yeah. a big part of your ethos, but like, <laughs> when did the concept first like come up for you? I would say we've always lived it, but I don't think we understood what the framework was. And this framework actually um, became more popular in particular the last couple of years, but I would say even 10 years ago. Uh, I founded Redwood Classics as our factories in-house brand. And for those who may not be aware, uh, Redwood Classics within the promotional product place is our factories in stock premium blanks program. But the factory that owns and operates Redwood Classics has been doing private label for a number of retail and global um, global designer brands for now close to 34 years. And we do it all in Canada. We've only done it in Canada. So for us, it's always focusing on quality, quick to market, you know, being um, a high quality touch point, um, you know, retail factory. And so when we first you know, I restructured and became my dad's business partner in 2009. Um, and with that, the whole reason why I became my dad's business partner and the reason why we even restructured, because the truth is when uh, China joined WTO, quotas got lifted. And as we know, in our marketplace now, it's not just apparel, a lot of things moved offshore to um, countries and areas to produce where you know, the cost of labor was cents to a dollar. Having said that for us, we wanted to continue to make in Canada, in North America specifically, is because as immigrant families, new immigrant myself, I came to Canada and with my family with absolutely nothing. And we're just so grateful for the opportunity North America has given us. I can't imagine what my life would be if I was still in Hong Kong, um, you know, not to get political or anything like that, but it, it hasn't, it, it's been, it's been a purposeful journey, entrepreneurial journey for me um, that I don't believe I even went in going, oh, I'm gonna fit a framework are my loyalty to our makers who really has helped us you know our socioeconomic impact um through our business has been helpful um and just recognizing that when you're making in north america domestically our carbon footprint actually is minimized so much more so these were all things that we felt were advantageous of what redwood classics could bring into the marketplace and so that's what we've, uh, and these are all truthful, right? These are all things that motivated us. And we thought, oh, for this, for this, for this. And it wasn't till the last, you know, eight years ago, um, I think I first, eight or nine years ago, I first heard of this concept called triple bottom line. And I was like, hmm, but, but we're doing this already. And we're doing this already. And we're focusing on the planet already by, you know, manufacturing locally. And a lot of decisions that we've made, you know, was also profit driven too. So for example, um, you know, using upcycled boxes from a planet perspective, we're minimizing and we're doing waste diversion. So instead of using virgin material constantly, we're looking for ways in our everyday business. For example, if someone gets, if any of our distributor gets a box from Redwood Classics, we actually, you know, 
we encourage our makers to bring over or bring home their boxes or bring, sorry, to the factory their boxes, or we'll buy actually if we do use boxes or we have to procure boxes, which we often do, we actually buy upcycled ones or we buy seconds or overruns. So we're not constantly encouraging that, you know, virgin buy. That's absolutely unnecessary. And I personally believe it's also being it's about conscious consumption as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So going back to the boxes though, like if you're using ones that are upcycled or, or like second runs, do you add like Redwood classic branding onto it or. We have a little sticker that actually says um, Redwood classics upcycled box, please reuse. And we're actually encouraging other distributor partners or decorators or whoever's receiving it to actually do that as well. Even in some of our packaging for B2C uh, business, uh, our online sales, when we have um, consumers that actually want to just buy one, how we do it is we use um, a, a recycled a bag for, for packaging as well. But what we also use as, as a gift, um, we wrap it up in upcycled um, ribbons. So for example, when we're doing waste diversion programs, um, we're actually taking landfill destined apparel and we deconstruct it and give it a brand new life so for example the jacket i'm wearing right now is something we made and it's deconstructed and you may not be able to see here this is actually you'll see the jeans so this is a denim, not, denim yeah jacket. this is the denim from a pair of denim so we upcycled it and this is a belt you'll okay. see here and just the jacket you'll see the back of the pocket so right. this is something that we've made, but we've also encouraged the upcycling. So let's just be creative. We're in an industry that's creative, right? So how do we minimize constantly procuring virgin materials and come with very creative ideas where we could still fulfill branding needs? So another one would be, if I was to give an example of this is something that we've done for the Pan Am games. You know, we took already existing banners and we've upcycled it instead of buying new virgin materials we've taken that material and we've turned it into a shopping bag yeah and it's beautiful they're like with the bright colors a yellow i guess kind of an orange and blue and green and is that like and a mesh material yeah it's a mesh material so really this is plastic yeah we've just diverted you know, on average in a large sporting event, um, approximately 50,000 tons of plastic is generated. And part of it are banners. I mean, think right. about all the banners that are out there. And plastic really is the microplastic that goes into our environment. Um, so however we can do diversion, I think personally, um, we've moved on from Actually, we organic is a don't even get me started on the whole greenwashing and organic. And I know we've had discussions in the past as from the advisory level, but um, mm -hmm. I think, in my humble opinion, the most authentic, um, impactful way our business is able to utilize, you know, already existing resources and minimize virgin resources. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think those are all, those are both like really good examples. They're really cool. And I think, I mean, I think the other thing is that it gives you people a story to tell, you know what I mean? And so much of, I think promotional products is storytelling for a brand. Oh so why God. not have, you know, a great story about a bag? This used to be a sign or these used to be jeans. I just 100%. Awesome. Can I show you something else that we actually run? We, we introduced this upcycling concept for branding back in 2014, 2015 to this industry. And this particular piece here actually won us multiple um, Best of Green awards. We've actually had mentioned in um, media outlets outside of this industry to talk about it. But this part here was actually an umbrella that was already branded. So this and is so a, a black pillow with like red stripes yeah. and a 3m or okay red on the back yeah so this was already so we took an already 3m branded umbrella mm -hmm. and we upcycled it we kept the original branding and then we were able to utilize um some of the nylon into pre-love which is the fashion the eco fashion brand that we collaborate with they were able to incorporate it in part of their collection and then we were able to um recycle the metal parts you know, what like the metal parts, they were just recycled, like at recycling facilities, yes, at recycling facilities. Right? right. But the point is, it's look, all of this took resources. It took time. It took effort. And so but it always goes back to the people, planet and profit. I just want to, you know, reference back to the three legged stool is decisions are constantly being made in our business saying, but we do look at our fiscal responsibility. Like we have to exist in order for us to, you know, invest in a brand new boiler. As an example, in 2018, we were able to do waste reduction and uh, uh, some of our, actually a big portion of our in-house laundry facility, as well as a small dye house facility is powered by clean energy. Now it's, it's powered by, you know, by, by our boiler, which is fantastic. And we've been able to minimize our energy usage as a result of that. Um, another one would have been our sister company, uh, social textiles were the first in Canada and one of less than a handful of full service apparel manufacturer that actually has a sustainable all over print technology um, using 100% biodegradable ink print on demand direct to fabric. We're less than a handful in all of North America. Right. But we've added that investment into our value chain. And so, again, if we didn't have profits, how could we have made all these investments to hopefully build a better working world for all of us? Right. You know, right. Again, I just want to reemphasize everyone will have a different journey and it's not necessarily a goal more than it is the journey, because all of the investments we've made and decisions that we've made is actually taking in consideration the people, planet and the profit. Right. And sometimes you may have one decision that is way more on one leg than the other. But ultimately, I think what's important is that we have um, a business that is profitable. So then we can continue the work for generations to come. Right. So what I mean, you know, obviously you've given me some really good examples of things you guys have been been doing. But for other suppliers and distributors in, in the promo industry, what do you think? they can do like what are some strategies they can use to start you know taking that framework and, and putting it in their their own business how can they put people in planet with with profit i would say first and foremost you need to figure out what your north 
star is. Like identify what's important to you um, and, and just give yourself grace and permission that it shouldn't be overwhelming. It's keep it simple within your own organization. Do you have the ability to make conscious consumption decisions? If you were to look at the people side, okay. If you're a distributor, do you go out of your way to source from diverse certified suppliers? And they may not be everything to everyone, but as part of your pitch, are you allowing an opportunity for a marginalized supplier to even have a chance to be there? You know, and is your whole business model always based on rebates? Let's look at the environment in which you're welcoming your people. And again, that's internal and external stakeholders, right? If we were to look at our environmental impact or your planet aspect of it, are we making conscious decisions, right? So instead of pushing for a polyester wicking product, that's 100% polyester, are we also showcasing products may not be 100% um, cotton, may not be organic, but a 50-50 versus a 100% polyester already in terms of taking in consideration the microfibers that are being released you've already minimized it. And then profit recognizing, you know, every investment you make, it is like, it has to go to the bottom line. You have to be a responsible business owner, responsible management team, right? Yeah. And again, going back to all of the three-legged stool. Um, so I, if I may, I would distill it to this to keep it simple for our industry leaders and, and just anybody who's listening, think of it and break it down into conscious consumption. How would you manage your own life? You know, when I'm making grocery decisions, right? Am I buying organic everything? I may not have the ability to, but what's important to me and I will make consumption decisions based on that. Or even when I'm throwing things away, I can choose to recycle, I can choose to green bin and compost, or I can choose to put it all in and let it be someone else's problem. Yeah, yeah. Do you how important do you think it is to be kind of like setting kind of benchmarks or seeing kind of where you are at the at a baseline so that you can see like what kind of changes you've made? Well, I believe that what gets measured gets done. Um, we are not a huge organization, but that's also the inspiration why we published our Made in Canada 10-year impact report last year. You know, I don't necessarily have the resources and the right recognizing, I mean, at the time uh, when we were about to publish the report, then COVID hit mm -hmm. and it's been constant supply chain issues. It's been, you know, two and a half years of just craziness. Yes. Having said that, we were delayed in publishing the report and so we didn't publish it till last year. But I was inspired by learning about the need to measure. So really, by publishing our impact report, it wasn't to say, hey, look how great we are, because we're not. There's so much room for improvement. Um, but it's recognizing that, hey, if we measure ourselves now, after 10 years, and take, you know, take stock of all of the improvements or decreases that we've made, now we know areas of focus. You know, again, it wasn't to say, hey, look at us, we're great because we're far from it. Um, 
but it, it really helped me realize, okay, where am we going to put more effort? Because I didn't quantify at the time. Um, I just knew that because we're a diverse supplier, it was really important that we do our best to, you know, let's say shipping as an example, we're FOB Toronto. So we actually don't make the decision, but we have the influence by sourcing for our brand partners you know, which type of, do they want LTL from this of this uh, company or this company or this company? Internally, we made it an effort that at least one of the quotes that we presented, we always went to a quote from a diverse certified uh, free forwarder or a logistics company. Mm -hmm. It was as simple as that, you know? And then I didn't really look at, we just knew we were procuring and we made an effort um, to let's say build relationships with minority owned um, local knitters or textile decorators um, as well as women owned. So we were able to aggregate, I believe it's close to, at the time it was 60% that we had done the the capturing, I 69%. I believe we might be like anywhere between 50 something to 60 something now. And that's as a result, and I have a reason, and I'm not as upset because we were able to recognize that um, supply chain has been an issue. So some of the um, vendor partners we'd like to go to, we may not be able to procure in that right. particular manner, right? Um, but at the time, 69% of our factory's procurement spend is with a woman-owned or a minority-owned business vendor partner. That's awesome. So it's, it's, you know, just if we didn't measure it, I wouldn't know what we should target. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think those are all really, really good points. Um, so I think, you know, we kind of have gone over a lot already, but is there anything else that you want to add before we go about, um, you know, sustainability, people, planet, profit, or just like a takeaway point that you want people to, to think about as they leave here? Um, I hope I'm going to keep it pretty simple which is that, you know, this is a very big tent topic. Let's just be honest, right? There's a lot to unpack. Um, and I don't believe there's a blueprint. It's just like your fingerprint, right? There's no real blueprint and the perfect solution for a company. It's, it's, there's no one way to implement sustainability into your business. Um, I believe each individual and each organization will have a different journey. So embrace the journey and celebrate the positive impacts that you've had. And with, you know, if you're able to track some of the negative impacts or impacts that can have improvement, let's celebrate that we're going to try to improve. Because remember, our goal here is to slow down the destruction as opposed to you know, and we're trying to minimize taking away and stealing from our future generations in order to live comfortably today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. This was a great discussion. Um, once again, I'm Teresa Hegel, and this is Promo Insiders. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. Take care, everyone.